Well, if you would, please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of James. This is where we are um, early in 2017. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are some behind that pillar right there, um, I think. I can't see, so Larry's holding up the four sign, so if you need four Bibles, there's four right there. Okay. So this morning, um, we're going to take a look then at, the, at, at James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 in particular. Um, if you're looking for the book of James, it's toward the end of your Bible. You'll see a, a big book, um, the book of Hebrews, if you have one of these Bibles, uh, one of the Bibles from the table. Um, you'll find it on page 869, James chapter 1, um, verses 9 through 11. Um, this is where we want to go in, at the beginning of 2017. We want to consider some of these wisdom statements that James makes on our behalf. Um, or on the behalf of, of, um, of those who he was writing to, um, and then glean the truth that we can from what's contained here. So if you have your Bible and you're at James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, let's read that. Um, go ahead and read along with me in your Bible. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. But the sun rises with the scorching heat, and withers, so the grass, withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So this text this morning, just a few verses for us this morning, just three verses. It's a small amount. There's a lot packed in here and a lot that James wants to communicate to his readers here in these three verses. Um, before we start talking about these verses, let's talk about Willie Nelson. Because that makes sense, right? Sure. Let's talk about Willie Nelson. Who's a Willie Nelson fan? Anybody? <coughs> one? <laughs> All right, great. We got one. Here we go. I'm not... Cool. Okay, great. Music. Probably the, the president of the Willie Nelson Club is like over here, but no. He's not. Okay, here we go. Um, uh, early in the 80s, uh, Willie Nelson, probably close to the height of his popularity, um, he, uh, he, he was uh, caught in sort of a tax evasion scheme. He was investing in sort of this illegal tax shelter um, that was going on. Um, and, and, and the IRS came at him, right? The IRS came at him. And, and I know that some of us, the IRS, sometimes that brings up some, some, some frustration inside of us. So we won't talk about that in, in a significant manner. But, but he owed the IRS, ultimately, he owed them $16.7 million. That's a lot of money. Um, Willie Nelson, being Willie Nelson, had some probably pretty good lawyers, and they negotiated that down to six million. The IRS was like, okay, but but, the, but Willie Nelson was still unable to to pay, so he just continued to evade, which ultimately culminated in the IRS going to his ranch home in Texas and seizing all his assets. Everything was seized except his guitar, um, which is fitting, I guess. I guess that was the way that he would make the money back. I suppose I don't know, but but they seized all his assets. But his guitar, and and this sort of idea, this sort of concept, I think for us, we're like, that's a lot of money. He had a lot of money. He didn't have a lot of money, and then now he has a lot of money again. Whatever that, whatever that means to you, I think in in some respects, the idea of a story like that sort of gets our either gets our blood boiling, and we say, yeah, take that rich guy, or something like, come on, IRS, get out of his business, or whatever. There's some sort of some sort of. Uh, emotion that's evoked in that in that time, right? 
When James writes to his readers here, to the Jewish Christians that he is writing to spread out sort of across the region, he is writing to them as those who, who clearly have some kind of opinion about the rich and the poor. And so, like we talked about last week, these readers were facing some significant social, economic kind of trials and difficulties that they were going through. And they responded to these, um, these difficulties in a particular way. And James wanted to shape, he wanted to craft the way that they responded to these by pointing them to godly wisdom. So last week when we talked about um, verses 2 through 8 in particular, when James admonishes his readers to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds... And then in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. What he is saying is really introducing two primary themes to, throughout, the, throughout the book for us, is that trials and temptations are coming, and how you respond to these is either going to be dictated by the wisdom that the world gives you, or the wisdom that God gives you, the wisdom that God grants to you. And so James now wants to, in verses 9 through 11, sort of, unpack for the people that he's writing to maybe some kind of perspective related to godly wisdom. And that will become apparent as we spend some time here in verses 9 through 11 this morning. So how his readers responded in the face of these difficulties is exactly what James wants to instruct them in. Did they, were they going to seek earthly temporary resolution for the trials that they faced, or were they going to seek the wisdom of God and see through the trial, like we talked about last week, looking through the trial to the eternity prepared for them in Jesus. So again, primary concerns that James has as he writes this letter are, one, trials and temptations, two, wisdom, and, and we'll see that that sort of bears itself out in the tongue as we move through James, and then three, um, this morning, the, the poor, the dispossessed, uh, the disenfranchised, these themes are going to be apparent throughout the, our time together. So this morning then we'll consider verses 9 through 11. We see, let the lowly brother boast his exaltation is how this text starts out. So for us then, as we come to a big idea looking at these three verses this morning, James knew that his readers had a tendency to slip into worldly thoughts. So he writes to remind them that God's order doesn't look like the world's. You toss that up there. There we go. Okay. James, I, I, I had a, a thought, but we'll set it aside. James knew that his readers had a tendency to slip into the world into worldly thoughts, so he writes to remind them that God's order does not look like the world's. World's possessive. Sorry, there's no apostrophe up there. Okay. <laughs> so this morning, then, the exaltation and the, sort of the humiliation ideas are what's going to direct our time together to see in verses in verse nine. The, the lowly brother boasting his exaltation in verse ten, and the flip side, the the counterpoint here about the rich and his humiliation. So let's consider then the exaltation that James writes about in verse 9, right? And really we just have this one clause, this one statement made, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And then he gives a little bit more information regarding the rich in the second clause there in beginning verse 10 and 11. So he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And this is, a, this is an ongoing theme throughout Scripture. This is something that we see throughout all of Scripture, really. Um, that the one who is poor or dispossessed in society 
would ultimately boast in that, or, or boast in something that is beyond that. So, for, for instance, Jeremiah writes um, in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, he is speaking the words of the Lord, he says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness here in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. And then Paul picks up this idea, writing to this church in Corinth. He writes to them, from particular in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verses 26 through 21, he writes this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So James is really picking up on a, on a biblical theme that we see kind of carried throughout all of Scripture. And so when we look then at what James writes here, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, what does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean that the lowly brother would boast in his exaltation? What James doesn't want his readers to do is to lose sight of the fact that eternal things and the eternal uh, future that is placed before us is actually the exaltation for the believer. He doesn't want us to lose sight of that fact. And so he writes, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. He's just continuing what he wrote in verses 2 through 8 and saying, the way that you face trials and the godly wisdom that's granted to you is that these things are not final. They are not ultimate. The things that you experience here on earth are small and temporary and light in comparison to the weight of glory that's promised to you in Christ Jesus in eternity. So what we have here is just a continuation of this thought. And a, and a, okay, so we look around us and we see the, the lowly brother. We see those who are rich and those who have stuff here on earth. And James says, you need to apply your eternal perspective even to this. And here's the challenge then for us in 21st century, relatively affluent, probably relatively is, is incredibly affluent society. Right? Here is the, the challenge for us here. We tend to equate, Mark was just saying this, we tend to equate exaltation and status in society with wealth. Right? Worldly wealth is something that, that gets, you, gets you fame. It, it makes you known. You, your name is, is spoken when you have a lot of money. When you make a lot of material wealth, when you, have, when you have someone like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or um, people who make a ton of money in the entrepreneurial world, those individuals, those are names that we know, not necessarily because of what they did, but because of what they made. And so this is the challenge then for us, right? Ultimately, we tend to equate financial difficulties and trials as an indicator of lack, God's lack of blessing on our lives, right? 
When it, when it was like a lack of blessing on our lives is indicated by the fact that we might not have what we think that we should have here in this life. And the fact of the matter is, when we were talking about this, when we discussed finances just a few weeks ago, no one is neutral when it comes to money. No one is neutral when it comes to money. And particularly, James understood that, right? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. So we need to press this idea a little bit more because I don't think that this is quite landing, okay? So we need to press this idea a little bit more because I think somewhere up here in our minds we get it, but I think like ultimately we're not living like it, okay? We vehemently deny, okay, so let's, let's just talk about the prosperity gospel in general, right? The prosperity gospel, if you're unaware, is something that says God wants you to make you healthy and wealthy here on earth. And it says that you're not experiencing those things and you're sort of doing Christianity wrong. Um, and we vehemently deny, right? We say, well, that sounds silly. That sounds silly. That's not what I read in the Bible. But in, in, at the same time, I think that we, 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 when we deny it, we say, oh, yeah, that's not right. That's silly. Um, we perceive when things aren't going well, we don't look through the temporary eternal. We sort of get bogged down in it. And we say, my health isn't great, boy, God doesn't love me, or I don't have the things that I think that I should have, and so, boy, God doesn't love me. And ultimately, that's functional prosperity gospel at work. And if you're not sure that you understand what I'm saying, or you're not sure that you are understanding what I'm saying, think about this. Think about what you pray for. Do you pray for things? Do you pray for status? Or do you pray for what James is concerned about for his readers to be transformed into the image of Jesus? And if you pray that latter thing, you can, you can be sure that you're going to face trials of various kinds here on earth. Especially like James' readers, these social and economic problems that they were, that they were facing. So ultimately, we, should, we exalt wealth as 21st century American Christians. We exalt wealth and earthly status and we sort of center our worlds around and we fix our affections to it. And for James, and then subsequently for us, we have to understand that wealth is temporary. We have to understand that the things that we obtain here on earth are temporary. And so we begin to see a very important distinction here. Again, this is really important. It will be important for us as we continue throughout this book. Trials are temporary. The joy that is experienced in understanding and knowing Jesus is eternal. Worldly wisdom is temporary. Godly wisdom is eternal. Earthly wealth is temporary. Exaltation in heavenly riches, which do not look like riches here on earth, that's eternal. James wants to deal with the eternal. He is pressing his readers to get out of their, their mindset that what they see around them and what they feel, what they sense, what they taste, touch, whatever other sense there is, he wants to push them out of that and say, no longer is that what is most real for you. Your, your greatest reality exists beyond this temporary time frame. What he's not saying here when he wants to deal with the eternal, is what he's not saying is that the lowly brother should revel in his earthly status. What he is saying is that the lowly brother should revel in his eternal status. 
In some ways, this is not always related to money for us, right? Particularly in my generation, I'm a millennial. You can throw your stones. Here we go. <laughs> um, in particular, okay, so prior to, this is free, prior to coming here and planting Buffalo City Church, I, I worked in sort of like inventory sales, like that sort of world. And there was a, a distinct time where all of a sudden we had um, more millennials in our sales force than we had um, when we had people who, who were non-millennials or older generation, right? And at that point, um, we saw a significant dip in what was going on. Primarily because sales is a, is, a, is a competitively driven, financially driven type pursuit. If you've ever worked in sales, it's kind of what it is. You set up competitions and you have leaderboards and whatever it is. So that people like, can directly compare themselves with others. Well, for, for my generation, in a lot of respects, that doesn't mean anything. That's sort of meaningless. Like, financial gain is important, but at the same time, in, in some respects, so is building a network. So is being part of something that is moving in a particular direction. No longer is it just a once in a one place sort of thing, but it's an ongoing pursuit of something greater. Feeling like you're part of something bigger than, than just like your own little world. And so, particularly for my generation, when we read this, we say, okay, yeah, I get that. That's not a big, big deal. But in some ways, it's not how, so in some ways, this, this text isn't always related financially for us. For James's readers, it was. For us, sometimes it's not. We need to mine some kind of principle here. And, and, and in some ways, it's not always related to finances. So there are some of us here this morning, and I'm particularly talking to our generation, who are just here because we're seeking to advance our own networks, we're seeking to advance our own interests in the community or the Jamestown community at large. And ultimately, some of us aren't interested in knowing who God is, or interested in the stated mission of Buffalo City Church, or are interested in seeing disciples of Jesus made. We're interested in feeling good about ourselves because we walk through the front door, and then we look to our lowly status and we view it as something to be fixed or altered rather than boasting in the external exaltation that God has granted to you in Jesus. This eternal perspective that we must have. We're not interested in boasting our lowly status, whether it be financial or relational or whatever that might look like. We're not interested in boasting in that. We're interested in boasting in the eternal truth and future that God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting there thinking, you're like, well, he's not talking to me. Sure I am. I'm talking to everybody. Like, this is where everybody's at. Everybody's here. This is why this is here in, in this book. Explore the corners of your heart. This is what James is calling his readers to do. Explore the corners of your heart. Are you boasting in the external exaltation promised to you? Or are you boasting in your, or, or in, in, in your lowly status? Are you boasting in your external exaltation promised to you in your lowly status? Are you seeking to acquire to boast something to boast in that's temporary? Again, no one is doing the former well. Nobody is boasting in the eternal status granted to them in Jesus well. Nobody is doing that well. We're all doing the latter. We are all seeking to acquire something to boast in. That is temporary. We need godly wisdom imparted to us through God's word. We need to surround ourselves with people who impart godly wisdom to us. Because we, as a people, tend towards the myopic. We need to be forced, we need to be pressed to get out of the, the nearsightedness that we have and to look through the trials, the difficulties, the things of this earth to see the eternal 
side of things. So Paul, or so James writes. I'm thinking about Paul because of that Romans passage. James writes in particular, "Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation," and then he writes, "Let the rich in his humiliation." Okay, so th this might need a little bit more explaining. I think that we can sort of wrap our minds around let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the rich boast in his humiliation. What is James saying when he writes this? So first, let's contrast it with the poor man. The poor man can boast in his exaltation. The poor man can boast in his exaltation because he really doesn't have any earthly, temporary stuff to boast in, right? If he is He's poor, he doesn't have things, he doesn't have a lot going for him, there's not a whole lot to boast in. So he can easily, or more easily, see through the stuff that he's been given here on earth and see what comes on the other side. What comes next for the poor man is always got to look forward to. He's not sure where his next meal is going to come from, but he knows in eternity he'll be fully satisfied. He doesn't, he's not sure how he's going to pay for that arthritis medication, but he knows in eternity he'll have a glorified body that won't break down. He's not sure how he's going to pay to keep the lights on in his apartment, but in eternity the glory of God will be his light. But for the rich man, in contrast to the poor man, he's seemingly, he's seemingly has something temporary to boast in. He's ordering the surf and turf, topped off with the creme brulee, right? And he and he's feels satisfaction in that. He feels temporary satisfaction in what he eats. He's not sure how he's going to... or he's, he, he understands more clearly that these physical ailments are being mitigated by chemistry. He sees that the lights aren't going to go off because, um, because he can pay his bill and he's got the backup generator in the backyard that's going to keep the lights on when his neighbors are in the dark. It's more difficult for the rich man to see through the here and now to the eternal. He has it good. He has it good. But when physical death sneaks up on him and rips it all away, these shadows of eternal goodness will be the source of his humiliation. All that temporary stuff will be gone in the blink of an eye. That's not easy for us to think about. That's deflating. It's humiliating. Remember here that James wants to deal in the eternal, not in the temporary. And again, having these things in earthly wealth is not the issue, right? Having these things in earthly wealth is not the issue. The question is, what are you boasting in, right? Because that's what James asks. That's what he says, that the lowly brother boast in his exaltation of the rich in his humiliation. The way that God has ordered things, those who have little or nothing who are able to boast in that which they have here on earth. They're just not able to do it. It's impossible for them because they have nothing. And so ultimately what our culture, our society has trained us in is that that's a curse. Like, not having things is a, is a curse. When you're struggling to pay the bills or to see where the next meal is coming from, or your car breaks down and you have no way to get from A to B with consistency, you know, or you have that, that stupid snow with a shovel has to be removed instead of a snowblower. Is it summer yet? <laughs> I'm 
James says, James says, based on what he writes in verse 9 and 10 and 11, is you're at an advantage. Because you're at an advantage when those things are your reality. Rejoice. None of that stuff is more than a drop of water in an ocean of eternity anyways. But for many of us, we mope around. Guys, I, I frequently lament the fact that I have to, I don't have a remote thing for my car. Whatever that thing is that unlocks the doors. I don't even know what it's called. And it would be really nice to have one of those when it's negative 12 and we're trying to keep three kids from getting run over in a parking lot. <laughs> it would be really nice to have one of those. But it's a drop in the ocean, right? It's a drop in the ocean. And so when James talks about the rich then, he says the rich and he's better the, boast, the rich boast in his humiliation. The admonition is if you're of means, it's not to look at those things and look at the luxuries and the comforts that you have, but it's to look at them and to recognize the temporary nature of them. To carry that, that drop in the ocean metaphor further, you don't go to the ocean, you don't go to the beach with a friend, sit down in your beach chair, pull out a soda out of the cooler and sit there and talk about the condensation on the, on the can for an hour. You don't do that. That'd be silly. The, the incredible nature of what stands before you is not condensation on a soda can. It's stretched out in front of you. It's the ocean. The things that we have here on this earth are, in fact, temporary and are revealed slivers of eternal realities promised to us in Christ. The admonition from James here is not to have worldly wealth, or not to not have worldly wealth. The admonition is to see that those things will be ripped from us and to boast in the humiliation of what that looks like, and that we don't get a say in it. James says at the end here, the end of verse 11, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Well, we often compare life to seasons, right? We often compare life's, life to seasons. I hope this makes sense. So like, we've got the, the springtime of youth, right? Right? Yeah. And then and then young adulthood the summer, the vibrancy of young adulthood, and the autumn sagaciousness of advanced adulthood, and the winter endurance of the elderly. But for the believer, is that true? Yeah, yes, for the temporary it is. But the seasons of this life are bringing about an eternal summer where nothing will fade where we see this portrait that, that James paints for us in verse 11, for the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the, the grass, the flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. In eternities, this, this flower, it will not fall, the grass, it will not wither. We will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, like James writes in verse 4. So James knows, thinking about our big idea then, James knows that God's order, right? that God's order is not man's order. Man's order has become twisted, has become distorted by sin. You who have nothing here are at a great advantage. You have nothing to boast but what's to come. That's the, that's the admonition of James here to us. You who have nothing, you are at a great advantage. 
you have health and wealth here, be aware. Boast in the fact that you have briefly glanced at a dimly lit portrait of the eternal reality and that your portrait will be ripped away and it will reveal an eternal reality far greater than this one that you know now. So just a couple of thoughts in conclusion. I just kind of want to ask a couple of questions of us. Maybe press on, press on some pressure points here. We should reflect on these. Are you boasting in what you have in the temporary or what has been promised to you in the eternal? Are you boasting in what you have here in the temporary or what you've been promised in the eternal? I think a good follow-up question to ask yourself is this, is what's your currency? What's your currency? What do I mean by that? What is it that you might boast in? What is it that you're acquiring that, that is the means by which you boast here in the temporary? For many, it's financial. Again, for many of my age, it's not about money, but it's relational cloud, networking, um, good standing in the community, work-life balance. You might be saying here, well, I'm not rich financially. That's fine. What are you trying to store up for yourself here that's temporary? all doing that in some respects. We're all trying to store something up for ourselves here in the temporary. Everybody's doing it. It doesn't have to be physical. It could be material wealth or just the perception of comfort. Whatever it is this week, pray that you would see through the temporary to the eternal. Let's be a people who together point each other to that eternal reality, not just the temporary. The second question then this morning is this. I think this is a big part of what James is writing when he writes in verse 9 and 10 and 11. To boast and exaltation, to uh, boast and humiliation for the rich, and to see that all of this temporary stuff is, is passing away. This was a question for us. Do we, the church, the people of God, together here in this place, identify more with a lowly brother or with the rich? It's going to become clear to us that the people in James' context were wanted to identify more with the rich than they did the lowly. And James wants to point out to them that this is not something that they should be proud of. This is not something that is going to relieve their trials or temptations, but take away the benefit of the steadfastness that's produced by them. There are a lot of good books written about Bill Gates. I just Googled it quick. There's like a million um, but there's no books written about the homeless guy under the bridge. And that just tells us what our culture is communicating to us, right? It's communicating about this wealth, this status, this is what's important. Um, Christian celebrity is something that has sort of overtaken our world, probably because of the internet, probably because of whatever. Whatever the world feeds us, we just eat it up. I think we know more in a lot of instances about, about people on, who play football on Sunday morning or who have a TV show on HGTV. We know a lot more about their lives than we know about uh, the dude who's, who is our neighbor who is having a tough time keeping his lights on or knowing where the next meal is going to come from. He's a couple doors down. These marginalized, disenfranchised, and dispossessed in our own neighborhood are being neglected. We pursue comfort and, and sort of a sort of an understanding of people's lives who, who will never cross paths with. 
I'm sure people in those situations, they have a unique ability to preach the gospel based on the place that they've been put in their lives. This isn't a judgment on where they land. But the, but the, the fact of the matter is that James is telling us to identify more with the lowly than he is with the rich. We're not in that position. We're called to identify and to care for those who are marginalized, disenfranchised, dispossessed, the hurting, the broken. And why? Why is that the case? Because that was us, right? That was who we were. Prior to coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's who we were. We were messed up, busted up, hurting people, looking to anything that we could to fix it. Because their expression of it is physical. Their expression of it is physical. And ours was spiritual. And this is the truth of the gospel that God broke in. Jesus came to earth and identified us in our lowly state. Right? He identified us in our lowly state. He was humiliated, not because he was killed and the things of earth were taken from him, because he, was, he bore our sin and it came down upon him and it crushed him. And that death for him, though, wasn't the end. He defeated it, and he dealt with it. He's ruling, he's reigning, it is finished. And so when we see that we should be those who are boasting in our... That we should be those who identify with the lowly and boasting in our exaltation, it is because something outside of us has made us rich. And not in the temporary, but in the eternal. We need to consider the fact that there are those who are broken, who are messed up, who've got tons of things going on in their world, and to go to them, and to love them with the love that God loved us by sending His Son to die on our behalf. Again, and this death isn't the end, right? Our society tells us it is or not. It is not the end. Jesus defeated sin. He defeated death. He's ruling and reigning as the King of all things. Over everything... So, let's go from here. Let's ask ourselves these questions this morning. Are we boasting in the temporary rather than the eternal that's been promised to us in Jesus? Do we as the church identify more with the lowly? Because that was us. That was our spiritual state. Do we identify more with the lowly or with the rich? Let's pray together.